God bless you folks. Uh, yes, this God is good, even though Pastor Matt is not here today. Did you know about this? We don't, we don't announce the menu in advance, otherwise you wouldn't show up. But it's been really, really great to worship this good, sovereign, marvelous God who has rescued us and yearns to rescue any who are in need of rescuing today. I have the privilege of continuing Pastor Matt's study in 1 Peter. We're going to back up to look at a text he very conveniently skipped last week. Why did he do it? Because it's tough. And so he entrusted it to the little Jewish guy. It's kind of a rough passage. It has to do with government, and that's not a popular topic today for anybody. So uh, stick around. Let's give it a shot. You know what government is? It consists of some members of society uh, governing the rest. If you're like me, uh, I don't think that's a good idea for two reasons. One, I don't like to be governed, neither do you. Uh, Governance means restraint and limitations on our choices and our behaviors. And let's just face it, there's something inside of us that tells us, I don't want to be fenced in. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So for one reason, we don't like government. And second, we don't like those generally who do govern. Now, regardless of your political party affiliation, my guess is you're not entirely thrilled with what's going on in recent days. We don't like to be governed, and we don't like those generally who do the governing, which leads me to this thought. Who in the world came up with this idea? It seems to me like a bad idea. Well, I got bad news for you. I studied the Bible a little bit, and I found out who came up with the idea of government, and here it is, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Can't deny it. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? Well, because there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, this changes the rules of the game because now it no longer matters what I think of government or what you think about it. What matters is the fact that God came up with the idea and therefore I have to figure out how to respond to government in spite of my feelings the way God wants me to respond. How then does God want me to respond to government? This too is painfully clear. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14. Submit yourselves. Boy, I wish we could just go home now. We don't like that. Submission, which means I have to subordinate myself to a higher authority, and I don't like that authority telling me what to do. And yet this text pretty clearly says that's how God wants us to respond to government. Submit yourselves. Why? Well, do it for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king, same thing as president, prime minister, governor, mayor, As to a king, it says, as the one in authority, or to governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So here's the problem with reading the Bible. It kind of messes you up. I'm looking for what God wants me to do with reference to government, and he makes it really clear here. He says, submit to it. But that can't be right. Come on. So you may know that this text, the New Testament, was written in an entirely different language. It was Greek. 
So surely the word submit in Greek doesn't mean submit. So I studied it to find out. Surely the word in the original Greek means something like, look at here, if you find the government to be tolerable, fine, obey it. But if you find the government to be intolerable, blow it off. Surely that's what the word means. So I looked it up, and in the Greek, the word submit ah, is exactly what the word in English means. In fact, I should never study the Bible. I discourage you from doing it, really. Because I found out that the word submit in Greek is actually worse. It's a military term, and it means to subordinate yourself or place yourself under as you would an officer with a higher rank. That's what we're supposed to do with regard to government. Now, who likes that? I was in the military a long time ago. I was a chaplain in the army, and I think it was Civil War. It was a long time ago. And uh, we got a new CO, commanding officer. I I was a chaplain in his unit. And before he got to the unit, I was told, you're in trouble, chaplain, because that commander hates chaplains. And I thought, why does he hate chaplains? What did I ever do to this guy? He said, you have nothing to do with it. He had bad experiences with the chaplain one time. And as a result, it's guilt by association. He's not going to like you. Sure enough, that was true. And me being a very godly Christian guy, I decided, well, then I'm not going to like him. (laughs) So we didn't have a, a very warm and affectionate relationship. By the way, the story has a great ending, but there's no time to tell you today. Some other time. So, so here was the deal. I was kind of faced with a dilemma. I don't like this man. I know he doesn't like me. And yet, because he was a, of a higher rank than me, I didn't have the option of not submitting to him. I had to subordinate myself. I had to place myself under his authority. And that's what the word submit given to us by Peter means here. But I know what you're thinking. How in the world can we submit to a government that may be ungodly? How do you do it? And then I began to think, I I think I got it. I found the loophole. When Peter wrote what we just read, government was good. He liked the government. When Peter wrote, I'm imagining, the government had a value system that respected the Christian value system that protected the rights and values of Christians. Oh, that's it. That's what Peter means. Submit to that kind of government. But then I made the mistake of looking into it. And I found out that's not true. In fact, the governor, the big shot, Peter, uh, had to submit to at the time was a guy named Nero. Have you ever heard of him? He was a maniac. Nero. In fact... Uh, Peter was murdered by this very guy a few years after Peter wrote this, and Peter's crime against government was that he was a follower of Jesus. That's the government Peter is saying you have to submit to. It gets worse. You may, if you know a little bit about history, you may know that Rome suffered this very devastating fire. It took place a few years after Peter wrote this. Some historians say Nero, who was crazy, probably set the fire himself. I don't know what 
the truth is, but I do know this. Nero was looking for a scapegoat, as all politicians do. Nobody's responsible for anything anymore, so you look for someone to blame. So Nero found Christians to be a convenient scapegoat. And so he had a governmentally authorized policy to persecute and even murder Christians who set this fire. That's the government Peter tells us you have to submit. It gets worse. Nero was a maniac. And he liked chariot racing. So he had people construct a racetrack in Rome, a hippodrome, where he could observe and enjoy the activity of chariot racing by day. But that wasn't enough to satisfy his passion for chariot racing. He wanted to view the race by night. But there was a little bit of a problem. No electricity in those days. So you can be a maniac and still be intelligent. And so Nero came up with the brilliant idea, I know. He issued an edict for his soldiers to capture, take uh, uh, under custody Christians, those who identified themselves as members of the way. That's what they were referred to, Jesus being the way. So they were just pulled out of their houses and away from their families. They were taken captive for no reason. And then Nero ordered that these Christians be coated in tar and then tied to pillars, which he had constructed in an oval shape around this oval-shaped racetrack. And then he ordered, the government did this, he ordered that they be set ablaze. And they provided the illumination so that this crazed maniac, uh, Nero, could enjoy chariot racing by night. So, folks... We can't get out from under this verse of scripture by suggesting, no, you only submit to good government. Good night. That was, no, that was evil government. Now, you may not like who's been elected president today. I don't know. But at least you had a right to vote. They didn't have that right in that day. Nero, Caesar, was considered to be godlike. And so he had every right, he thought, to thrust his authority upon the citizenry and that's what happened and that's the government under which Peter submitted and so I wonder this question are we then to submit to government under any and all circumstances well you won't like this answer but I think it's biblical yes we are to submit unconditionally to government. So while we are told to unconditionally submit to government, we're not told to unconditionally obey government. What's the difference? Obedience is an action. Submission is an attitude. I am always to have an attitude of submissive respect to the government. But sometimes I may have to look the government in the eye and say, government, I must respectfully choose to disobey the law you are requiring me to comply with. That's how it works. Now, we owe unconditional submission to the government because government is God's idea, but we don't owe it unconditional obedience. If you render unconditional obedience to the government, you are an idolater. You're making an idol. You're making the government the highest power. 
but it is not the highest power. So when then can I ever disobey the government? Here's the answer. If obeying the government would cause me to disobey God, then I must disobey the government. There's the answer. Are there any biblical illustrations of this? Oh, yeah. You're going to get your money's worth today, folks. In Exodus chapter 1, the head of government, Pharaoh, issued an edict. He told Hebrew midwives, when you are helping a Hebrew woman deliver a male child, kill the baby. Murder the baby. The Hebrew midwives hear the very clearly stated requirement of the government, but they find that complying with it would have obligated them to disobey the higher authority of God. And so they therefore did not do what government asked them to do. And not only did God not punish them, as you read the context, you'll see God rewarded them. Later on in Exodus chapter 5, the government prohibited the Israelites from going off into the wilderness to worship their God. What would you do if this morning the government prohibited us from worshiping the God whom we love and bow before? What would you do? Well, the ancient Israelites chose to obey God rather than man, and so they disobeyed the government. And again, not only did God not sanction them, he miraculously protected them. In Joshua chapter 2, there was a prostitute. Her name was Rahab or Rahab. She lived in a place called Jericho. Perhaps you've heard about it. Israel had been in bondage for 400 plus years, spent another 40 in a wilderness journey. They're about to enter into a land of promise. But before they did, they sent a couple spies on a reconnaissance mission. Uh, They went for safety into the home of Rahab. She hid them from the government. If she had told the government where they were and that they were with her, the government would have killed them. And she decided to tell the government, no way, not going to do it. I'm going to do the godly thing. Again, not only did God not punish Rahab, if you cared to do this, because you're bored by what I'm saying, Uh, You can go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look for Rahab's name. This Gentile woman who was a woman of the night, oldest profession, a prostitute, made Hebrews chapter 11, which we refer to as the faith honor roll. She did the right thing to disobey the government. In Daniel chapter 3, you know about these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When I was a young Christian... I thought their names were your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. And then uh, I kind of grew up and realized, oh, boy, that is not their names at all. So these three guys, here's what they did. They refused to worship an idol, which the king of the land, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, had ordered be constructed in his own image. It was a huge deal. And he commanded that everyone in his kingdom bow before it. Well, these three guys said, not going to do it. We don't bow before anybody else except the one and only true God. And what did God do? He delivered them. 
Now, lest you think this is all Old Testament stuff, here's a New Testament example of civil disobedience. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, the government of the day was called the Sanhedrin, was kind of the equivalent of our Congress in Washington, D.C. The members of the Sanhedrin told the apostles, guys like Peter and Paul and John, they told them, hey, cease and desist talking to people about this Jesus. You're just upsetting the whole apple cart. Keep your mouth shut. Talk about what you want, but leave Jesus out of it. Well, the apostles check out what the government is telling them to do, and they quite respectfully say to the government, with all due respect, government, we must disobey you in favor of obeying God. That's what they did. So what is it that each of these biblical examples of civil disobedience have in common? It's simple. It's this. In each case of civil disobedience in the Bible, God's people were commanded to do something that would have caused them to violate the command of God. You must disobey government. We are not able to disobey government if government passes a law permitting others to sin. For instance, it is legal in this country to abort a baby. That's the law of the land. I would gather many, maybe most here, do not agree with that law. Most here believe that God's higher law, which has to do with the sanctity of human life, is totally contrary to the premature termination of the potential of a baby even in the womb. It's not a good law. Can we therefore overturn the government? No. Why not? The government is permitting some to sin, but it's not obligating ones like us to sin. If the government said to us, we're going to limit the size of your family to a certain number of children, and the lady becomes with child, she's pregnant again, and the government said, you are exceeding the quota, therefore we uh, require that you abort the baby you're carrying. I would hope that Christian woman would submit to the government, respectfully saying, uh, we must obey God rather than the government. Can you see the difference? So we can't disobey the government when it passes laws we don't like or that are inconvenient. We cannot do that. We are only authorized to disobey the government when the government requires something of us that would obligate us to disobey God. Now, what's the point of all this? Why does God want us to submit to government? Well, here's the motivation. It's given in verse 3. For the Lord's sake. You see that? That changes everything. Uh, Almighty God who saved us and loves us as a result of which we love him. He said, I want you to submit to government. It, it may be counterintuitive to you. Do it for me. Do it for my sake. Well, what does that mean? Uh, folks, if you're a Christian, you are a citizen of another place. You're a citizen of heaven. That's why you are increasingly becoming uncomfortable here. But for so long as we are citizens also of earth, as citizens of heaven, we want to be the best, most law-abiding citizens possible. Why? Because it reflects well on Jesus by whose name we are called. Jesus said, do this for my sake. 
comply with the laws of the land. Be the best citizen you possibly could. And in so doing, show people you're different. Now, this was really brought home to me a few years ago. I had a guy come to our house to repair something. I don't remember what it was. But in the course of him repairing whatever that something was, I started talking to him. And I got a chance to talk to him about how grateful I was that he has come to repair whatever was broken. And I said to him, have you ever considered that uh, your relationship with the God who made you might be broken and that it stands in need of repair? That's why I started the conversation. And we went for it. We were just talking. And then at a certain point, he kind of changed the subject. He was a biker. And he said, you know, uh, what I hate are uh, helmet laws. Helmet laws. He was a biker who wanted to ride free kind of a deal, and apparently the helmet he felt was uh, an intrusion on his personal freedom. Well, I don't know anything about the helmet laws, and I don't really care, to be honest with you. I, 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 wanted, to share, uh, I wanted to talk about Jesus. So I wasn't going to get involved in staking out my ground on the helmet law. If I'm going to offend him about anything, let me offend him about Jesus, not the helmet law. So he says to me, he says, you, you people like you, you Christians, you probably obey laws like that, don't you? Now, he meant it as kind of an insult, but it really was a compliment. Somehow he saw that we who are named by the name of Christ, Christians, Christ followers, somehow he saw us to be folks who, generally speaking, keep the law of the land. And that redounds to the glory of Almighty God. That's why it says, please do this for my sake. Die to self, my fellow Christian citizens. Stop scrutinizing every law of the land and first think about whether you like it or not before you comply with it. Do it for Jesus' sake. We have received Jesus' best, folks. Let's do our best to be the best citizens we possibly could for his sake. Why? Government is his idea once again. And we are to respond to it rightly. Hey, could I depart here just for a second? For a second. Well, I, I'm going to do it because I have the microphone. <clears throat> um, so in between services, I was speaking to one of the guys, and he's a police officer, and we were just talking about stuff. And he was asking me about my son. My wife and I have a son, uh, and he, uh, he's a cop. He, he's, he's with the Houston Police Department in uh, Jimmy. He's the kid I told you about who, who played guitar with you once in a while. You remember that a long time ago? But anyway, he, he went rogue and he became a cop. So now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I believe law enforcement is an agent of government. Yeah, agent of government. All you got to do is read Romans 13, which means if you resist, rebel, disobey law enforcement authority, if you attack seek to insult, seek to do harm to law enforcement authority. Folks, you are rebelling against God-ordained government. I didn't say defend the police for wrongdoing. I didn't say that. I just said it's an honorable profession, which sometimes I understand is done dishonorably, and those who do so should be called to task. However, to defund, resist, and denigrate law enforcement. 
is to spit in the, in the face of Almighty God who ordained it as an agent of government. You know what it's called? Anarchy. You know what the word means? No laws, no rules. Don't fence me in. Folks, government is God's idea. We are to respond to it rightly. But what in the world did God have in mind? When he came up with the idea of government, what's government's purpose? Well, the answer is given to us quite clearly in verse 14, where we can see that government is ordained by God. Here's what it says, 1 Peter 2, 14, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So government has two essential purposes. It's clear, punishment and praise. Now, today, people may be looking to government for all manner of other things. We've become an entitlement society, expecting government to be our big daddy. But that's not really true. These are the essential purposes of government. It's tasked with the responsibility of praising good citizens and punishing bad ones. That's what God ordained government to do. Why did he do it? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we all have an inclination to sin. Well, you know that in your own life. You don't need the Bible to tell you this, but just in case you do, it does. Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. Yeah, even Republicans. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Republicans and Democrats, we have this in common. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we have this sinful inclination, where did we get it? We didn't learn it anywhere. You don't have to learn it. It done comes naturally. We're conceived in sin with this inclination to not do what we're supposed to do. We hate authority. We hate submitting to it. If it feels good, we want to do it. Well, God is pretty smart. He designed us. He made us. And therefore, he's trying to help restrain our sinful nature. And that's why he authorized government. Government is not such a bad idea after all. So though government is not the remedy for sin, it is ordained by God to be the restrainer of sin. Yeah, government can't change my sin nature. It can only keep it in check. By the way, only Jesus is the remedy for sin. Have you accepted him? Yeah, see, God bless you, Stan. I know it's Stan right there. I love that guy, Stan. If you're doing good, he tells you. If you're not, you get that too. Remedy for sin. It's amazing to me. I'm not bored being a Christian. A God Almighty who I've never seen uh, determined to rescue me and be a remedy for my sin, but how could he do it? I mean, he's holy. Someone's got to pay a penalty It's death, but God by nature can't die. So what did he do? He took on this skin, flesh, made himself mortal, made himself subject to death. And death is what he experienced. Cruel, really bad form of capital punishment impaled on a cross from which he said, Father, forgive Stuart, for he knows not what he does. Put your name in that equation because that's what he did. He became the remedy for sin contingent on my acceptance of it. See, I have to stand before his father one day and I have to give an account. Here's what he's going to say. He's not going to say how many times you go to church and this and that. He's going to say, what did you do with my son? I rejected him. 
But then I reject you. I accepted him. Then I accept you. Would it be any different with you if you're the father? The way people treat your kids is how you respond to them. So Jesus is the remedy for sin, don't you see? And once you've accepted him, good night, you're in an entirely different domain, regardless of the earthly government. So government can't serve that purpose. No government, no administration saves anybody. It's simply the restrainer of human sin. And therefore, you can see government is not such a bad idea at all. It's God's idea. And so what does he want us to do with it? Well, verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. When Peter wrote this, I mentioned to you, it was the Roman Empire, really bad. People in the Roman Empire made false and foolish accusations about Christians, those who followed Christ. For instance, they accused them of cannibalism, eating human flesh. How'd they get that? Misunderstanding of Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. You know how we say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ. In those symbols, bread and juice. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then we partake of those. Cannibals, those Christians eat flesh. That's what they were accused of doing in the first century. They were also accused of grotesque sexual immorality. Why? They called one another brother and sister, even though they weren't. And they expressed openly their love for one another. They were given to incest. That was an accusation. You think you're taking it on the chin today for being a Christian? Good night. This is nothing. That's what they experienced. They were accused of fostering poverty in the empire. Why? Because so many (laughs) were poor. Also, they didn't put their uh, hopes in material things, their stock portfolio. They were more interested in spiritual riches and Roman empire leaders. The government said they're undermining our economy. They were accused of all things, of atheism. These were people who were devout followers of Almighty God through Jesus, his son, yet they were accused of atheism. Why? Because they refused to worship the pantheon of Roman gods. They were accused of causing natural disasters like flood and famine. Why? Well, these Christians refused to worship Roman gods. They said they're only worshiping the one true God. And therefore, all these other gods, they're pretty ticked off. And therefore, they're inflicting our whole society with natural disasters like flood and famine. And it's those Christians who are responsible for bringing it about. That's that's what happened. You know what God says? I'm going to tell you how to silence uh, those people who foolishly accuse you of all this stuff. Do what's right. Do it as the best citizens you can be. Respect the government. Comply with its laws, even the ones you don't like. And in so doing, you'll silence the naysayers. By the word, in the Greek, that word silence means to muzzle. God says, put a muzzle on it. The number one argument against all their false accusations is that you prove yourselves to be salt and light, the best citizens in the empire you possibly could be. In other words, it says in verse 16, act as free men. 
But don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Nope, use it as bond slaves of God. It's kind of a paradox. They're supposed to submit to government, and yet they're free. Free in what sense? Free to do what's right. When you and I get saved, we get saved from the bondage of sin, not just its penalty. Now I have an option. I can say no to the flesh. I don't have to obey it. I have an option now. And so what this is saying is, now you're a bond slave of Christ. You've got to serve someone. You used to serve the flesh. Now serve me. And the way it works in society is that you voluntarily submit to government. And so here's specifically what you're supposed to do. Verse 17, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Look at what it begins with. Same word, honor. And it ends with the same word, honor. Honor everybody. We get that. But then it says pretty much, yeah, but don't leave out the president. That's what it says. Why does it say that? Because we're prone. If you didn't vote for the president, you're prone to leave him out. As far as being a recipient of honor, this says, no, no, don't do that. Honor. Also, fear God. Respect him. Stand in awe of him. And love the brotherhood. We owe fellow Christians more than that which we owe others. Honor others, but love the brotherhood. Now, folks, I can tell by looking out at your faces that uh, I may be raising more questions than I'm answering. I know it. That's why Pastor Matt dumped this on me. (laughs) I'm telling you. It's okay. My people have been persecuted for centuries. We're used to this. (laughs) We're used to it. And I realize I've not answered a whole bunch of questions that are now going through your mind. Why? Well, because I've just tried to constrain myself to what this passage says. There are all kinds of applications of this. We have to work out individually as believers. Not everything is spelled out here. In fact, I I would like more clarity about what I'm supposed to do with reference to the government today. Why? I think we would all agree. We're not all that thrilled with the direction of the government. I got all that. So here's what I want to end with. I don't have answers that explain all that's going on today or what we should do about it. I don't. I just don't. So what I do at times when the present day is overwhelming to me and I'm getting depressed by it all, I look for a way out. And for me, the way out is to allow God to give me a glimpse of the future. Because if you told me the situation I'm presently in is going to be my reality forever, oh, man. I don't think I can handle that. I don't want it to be forever. So thank God our Father has given us a bit of a glimpse into the future. And he's shown us what future government will look like. And he's done it through no less than his prophets, one of which is Isaiah. Through a verse I know you're familiar with. Listen, Isaiah 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us. What's his name? That's Jesus. And a son will be given to us. What's his name? That's Jesus. And the government will rest on his shoulders. That's the future. Folks, I think it's going to get worse for us. But the best is yet to come. Hang in there. You see, the government right now is on the shoulders of people who can't carry the load. Now, whether they be Republicans or Democrats, this we all agree with. Those in the White House are flawed, limited at the least, 
and maybe skunks at the worst. Well, let's just face it. We know it. They can't cover, they can't carry the load of government. Their shoulders are not big enough. But one day, government will rest upon the shoulders of King Jesus. His shoulders are big and broad. He can handle the load. One day, you and I can say goodbye, human government. Welcome, Lord Jesus, king above all kings. Right now, we're subjects of an invisible kingdom. In that day, it'll be visible. It'll be geopolitical. Jesus will be on the throne, and it'll be all different. I'm going to tell you, I'm trying, Stan. (laughs) And as Isaiah furthermore said in this same verse, Isaiah 9, 6, look, his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Throughout history, human governmental leaders have taken upon themselves various names. For instance, in the 1800s lived a man named Jose Gaspar Rodriguez de Francia. So for all uh, Spanish speakers, did I destroy that or what? (laughs) I know I did, but I tried. Anyway, he became the president of Paraguay, and he took on this very humble title, Supreme and Perpetual Dictator of Paraguay. <laughs> you heard of Joseph Stalin? He took on the title, Great Leader, Man of Steel, Brilliant Genius of Humanity, Gardener of Human Happiness. Idi Amin, do you remember him? One time president of Uganda. He took on these titles. His Excellency, President for Life, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fish of the sea. Yeah. And interesting, in these cases and all others, the self-assumed title taken on by the world's governmental leaders barely outlasted their own administrations. However, the titles prophesied by Isaiah with regard to King Jesus are his eternally. Nobody could take him away. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and I love this one, Prince of Peace. Why do I love it? In his government, we will experience the absence of conflict In his government, for the first time in human history, we will no longer hear of war and rumors of war. Because he is the administrator, the author, the prince of peace. In Hebrew, we call him the Sar Shalom, the prince of peace. Now, why do I share all this and why do I want to end with it? Because if you're like me, we're letting human government... uh, Diminish our joy and hopeful expectation of the coming King Jesus who will usher upon us a government the likes of which we've never experienced, filled with perfections and productivity and peace and justice for all. Please do not let the present day distinguish our hopeful expectation of that day the day, perhaps even soon to come. I must tell you this. 
if you've not submitted to the Lord Jesus individually as your personal savior for your personal sin, you're not part of his governance yet. You're out there on your own. Don't do it. You say, I don't want to give up my freedom. But here's the paradox. To make yourself a servant of Christ is to be free indeed. Otherwise, you're obligated to your flesh, your own sin nature. I beg you, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, do so today. Say, oh God, be enthroned on the throne of my heart. Put it within me to bow before you, for you will be enthroned one day on the throne of the world. And I want to be a citizen of heaven. Would you bow with me and perhaps make that your prayer today? Lord Jesus, we bow before you and none other. We do so for you are high and lifted up, worthy of all praise and honor. The perfect king and kingdom we've never experienced, but yearn for one day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but not before you give everybody a chance to accept you as personal Savior and Lord. And for the, those of us who've already done so, oh God, would you accept these words by way of a declaration? Oh God, we look to you. We won't be overwhelmed. Give us vision to see things like you do. For Almighty God, we look to you. <laughs>